Are no. you recording? This is mainly been sound check. We haven't actually started. But he does that. sometimes use these intros because there can be some funny stuff that comes out of it. Hi, I'm Jeremy. I'm a dork living in Portland, Oregon, who spent too many years listening to podcasts and not doing anything creative. This is my attempt to rectify that, to create and contribute something where I talk to people about their cultural obsessions and try to give some recommendations of my own. Welcome to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Once again, you're listening to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. I am your host, Jerry. I am joined by two two friends and guests and co-hosts here and a new guest um, located way off in the in the ether. Guest off in the ether, could you please introduce yourself for the viewing audience? Hi, I'm Ian Williams. Uh, I'm a Raleigh, North Carolina-based uh, freelancer, uh, primarily working in the Vice ecosystem these days. Um, I'm also a game designer and a student. Awesome. Uh, joining me here in uh, in the studio, a studio guest, would you please introduce yourself to the viewing audience? Hi, I'm Nat, a resident Star Wars hot take non-appreciator and co-host, or actually host of Meta Machina, my own podcast. And? I'm Jacob, and I have slowly given myself over to the machine. Be sure to check me out on Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, and pretty soon... We're going to have a proper website going for Barkles. Check that out at barkles.dog. It's going to be very good. Jacob is a... Would you describe yourself as a, what, as a comic artist or... Comic writer and artist, yeah. Okay, cool. So I have very strong opinions about all of this. <laughs> Wanted to have uh, Ian on because, dude, uh, Ian, you, like I said, you have your own uh, particularly interesting complex back history about both being um, writing about, you know, geek life and nerd shit and, uh, you know, the kind of what has become our kind of just the, you know, what, he, you know, dominant hegemonic uh, uh, pop cult overlords that kind of the, the kind of like won about 10 years ago. Yeah. Hell, and I want to say that your articles are were, were really great. I enjoyed reading them. So thank you. Your first comic book article made me want to fight you. Okay. But the next one totally flipped it around for me. So good job on that. Okay. What was the fir- uh-huh. what was the first one that made you want to fight him? The stuff about uh, comic books and how they're properties that are controlled by corporations. But basically, every issue I had with that was addressed really well in the next article, where you got into things like fan fiction and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I softened my stance. You know, I mean, uh, uh, those those articles were written, I think, like four years apart, maybe a little bit more. So, you know, uh, hopefully we never like calcify so much that we never, you know, quite, quite stop uh, changing uh, and altering our minds about things a little exactly. bit. I respect that. Or if we do, we get, we get at least, you know, uh, like, you know, get hired by the Atlantic before that happens or something. <laughs> right. Uh, I guess the question is is um, and <laughs> we don't really do we don't really do straight like uh, interviews. It's more of like just loose conversation here. Um, yeah. How do things look as you know? What what is your take on kind of what is become like the um, the nerd shit industrial complex that started I don't know maybe like ten years ago and all of a sudden just kind of decided to overtake ev- uh, everything. Um, well, I was actually speaking to Gavin Mueller about this, um, uh, who is, of course, an, an 
an academic, and he actually wrote a rebuttal, uh, Jacob, you'll be happy to know, in Jacobin to my very first article nice. on geek culture there. Um, but as it turns out, like, Gavin and I really, like, hit it off, um, you know, in online terms. Um, we, we have, I think, a fair amount of mutual respect, and I um, I find him a very interesting um, thinker about uh, media studies and stuff like that. But we were talking about the idea of nostalgia because he was talking about ready, about ready for play, ready player one, hmm. which um, I'll go ahead and say, like, like I have not seen, but um, I also think I have a pretty good handle on what led to its creation and where it ended up being. Yeah. Reddit did not, and, Reddit did yeah. not see it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so the thing about nostalgia at this point is that I think it's kind of hard to talk about um, kind of like the all-encompassing beast that geek culture has become because it's nostalgia-based. And when we when we talk about that, it's important to be very, very clear about what we're talking about. It's nostalgia for a very specific slice of time and a very specific slice of corporatized culture, which was, of course, like 1980s uh, um, toys and TV and things like that. Mm-hmm. But what's weird about that nostalgia is that, um, and I'm not sure how old y'all are. I'm, I'm, I'm 40. So I've kind of like gotten to see like that little slice of the seventies before it became the eighties. Cause you know, decades don't just go like zero to nine, yeah. right? Like, you know, it, they, they linger and shift and some decades are longer than others. Um, I'm a year, so, I'm, I'm, a, I'm about a year older than you are. All right. Well, there you go. Okay. So, 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 so this should be like, eminently familiar since right. you got to live through the 90s and the aughts like as an adult and stuff like that um i, I remember yeah so, I, rem- I remember the co- the comic collector boom era for example right so. yeah exactly and um but one of the things that you'll notice if you look at that is that the 70s th- there was like this little spurt of of 70s nostalgia in the 90s like the mid 90s like there were like bell bottoms to, to come back i was wearing bell bottoms at the time yeah, and like you, and like you would see, you know, uh, like 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 a paisley dress or something like that, and it lasted like two years. Um, and I'm gonna skip the '80s for a second, but uh, there was like a little burst of like '90s nostalgia, and you kind of see it in like vaporwave, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, and 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 punk and and some of the computer nostalgia. But that's kind of like a subsumed secondary thing, and. Uh, like 2000s nostalgia just basically doesn't exist right we can't like, remember you know. that we don't want to remember that time right exactly um but like 80s nostalgia i i, I got curious when i was talking to uh, when i was talking about gavin about this 80s nostalgia do you know when the first episode of uh i love the 80s was it was in 1998 yeah i was right? gonna say like 96 or so but collection it was 2002 yeah that was okay so like 90, 98 was, I think, the American one, and I think that that was actually based on a British show that that came like a year before that. Sounds about right. Oh, hi! Come on in. I want to show you something I think you're going to enjoy. The 80s, you know, the the film and the fashion, the 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 food, the music, of course, nearly all the things that you guys had so much fun with back when. Uh, well, back in the days, we all looked a little younger than we do right now. So, this week, it's 1980. An unforgettable year for a guy who looked just like me. And I remember that there were, like, 80s, uh, you know, trying to do, uh, not hair metal, but kind of like the like, like the early synth stuff. Um, and, and synth pop, uh, particularly overseas. Um, 
so but 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 taken together what that means is that we've had almost 20 years of 80s nostalgia where every other form of nostalgia has lasted for like four or five six years right and the net effect of that is that we are no longer nostalgic for the 80s right because because really people should not be nostalgic for the 80s Mm because everybody who remembers the 80s as even like a teenager is in their 40s or pushing 50 we're now nostalgic for the nostalgia about the 80s right right and that is an incredibly strange place to be because what that means is is when your entire culture is no longer about even nostalgia for a real time but nostalgia for a manufactured nostalgia for a real time Essentially, what we're going to do is from now until the heat death of the sun, (laughs) we're going to keep creating the 80s, right, in our popular culture. Welcome to the cafe 80s, where it's always morning in America, even in the afternoon. (laughs) There's no way out. We're trapped in the cycle because all we can do, all we know is nostalgia. And the nostalgia cycle has now become nostalgic for itself. And I think that that's really the trap that geek culture is in, right? Because, mm. mm-hmm. like, and, and, and I think that goes a long way towards explaining why it's like, oh, well, it's time to recreate this show, right? Like, like how many, uh, you know, I mean, that that is not a novel observation, by right. the way, the yeah. idea that, like, we just remake things over and over and again. But um, I don't know if we've really examined why that is, because it's just too simple to be like, well, people are lazy, you know, like, I don't, I don't think that's exactly it. I think there's more going on there. It feels like it's like there is no innovation at this point in terms of some of the stuff. Like, I think the resurgence of cyberpunk recently has been really interesting to me because of that fact. Like, we don't have a we don't have alternate visions of the future to glom onto, So we continue to recycle these ideas, you know, looking at something in comparison like Star Trek, where you tried to push the limits on possibility and interesting things. But, you know, we're we're definitely pushing back into this idea that, like, we have to be... I mean, the dystopia thing is kind of ending, but still, cyberpunk is a form of dystopia, and we continue to pull, pull these into our sci-fi all the time. I think it's just re- a reflection of our culture at large. Yeah, well, I'm trying to I'm trying to think who it was that was that was talking about it. Um, I think it was a few people, and I think that Austin Walker at, at Waypoint was one of them who was mm-hmm. saying that um, an awful lot of cyberpunk that he sees is still in this like solitary hero, um, and it kind of ends up being hopeless. And it's very nihilistic. he really, yeah, he he really wanted to see a cyberpunk that was a little more hopeful. Same, right? You know, that was that was that, that recognized the power of the collective because one person's not going to take down a corporation if, you know, they jack in and steal their data or something like that. Exactly. Um, Put the punk back in cyberpunk. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, you know, less individualistic, a little bit more hopeful that somebody could, you know, that, that, that a group of people could change things. Um, but 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 also like. You know, it, 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 depending on my move, depending on my mood, I don't feel particularly hopeful. <laughs> you I don't know? think anybody does. And I'm not, yeah, and, and I'm not entirely certain that um, you know, if, if cyberpunk reflects pessimism, um, uh, and, and we keep returning to that well, then there's probably a reason for that. I think. Uh, well, Jacob, you have something to say. You had something to add. Well, I was going to put this into a interesting historical context, which is that this retro fixation thing isn't necessarily that new. I mean, 
America was obsessed with cowboys long after all the cowboys were dead, and we were fantasizing about a version of cowboys that was completely inaccurate to the reality of the situation. What's your name, dude? Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. What kind of stupid name is that? Oh yeah, absolutely. And 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 actually, my favorite nostalgic movement is that. Uh, and, and it's a weird one is that in the in the like early 70s with like Lawrence Welk and stuff like that, you had this weird nostalgia <laughs> for the gay 80s, you know, the 1890s yeah. uh, uh, and, and 1880s. Really- um, and, and there was this one Twilight Zone episode where, um, you know, it's like mid 60s and the guy goes to I can't remember which I can't remember which one it is, but he hops on a train. Oh, Willoughby, stop is Willoughby. Willoughby, the stop is Willoughby. Willoughby, sir. Willoughby? Yes, sir. Willoughby. That's right. And yeah. where the fuck does he end up, right? Like, he ends up in, like, the 1890s. Like, what a weird... So, like, by the 70s, like, nobody was even alive who remembered it. But you had, like, Lawrence Welk doing all this stuff where people were dressed up and uh you know turn of the century garb and and singing songs and so 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 i i get that um, I was say, there's a there was a similar movie about the same time of like this weird kind of like 20s retro that popped up in the early 70s too of, you know going from everything from like the sting to paper moon mm-hmm. to uh I think it's hilarious and great is that they made so many of those movies that were books at the time, like, the, all the H.G. Wells stuff was, came out in the seventies, um, re, re, was redone in the seventies mm. in that vein, which is it's just great to watch, especially the yeah. MST three K versions. <laughs> but uh, um, let me let me address that cowboy thing though for a second. So so one immediate difference is that cowboys and Are cool. uh, you know <laughs> <laughs> they are kind of cool, but. Um, Cowboys and the 1920s and the 1890s relied on kind of a shared uh, cultural memory, accurate or not, whereas the 1980s nostalgia is nostalgia for uh, a specific form of entertainment that is wholly, you know, corporatized. You know, we're not nostalgic for – I mean, mean, some of us are, but there's not like a mass nostalgia for, uh, you know, minor threat shows. So we're nostalgic right. for the media itself that was occurring in that time, right. not the actual exactly. time, which makes sense. The um, although I I will say I it, I have been um, it has been nice to see that you know like post hardcore bands are still a thing, but the you know, the comment about that I always thought about one of the reasons why like eighty especially like eighty cyberpunk came back aside from the fact that it was a really neat aesthetic and I remember I was into that shit when well I think when I was. I would have been. Tw- I was twelve years old in nineteen eighty eight. So at least I was definitely exposed to some of the paperbacks. But the I think the there is almost like an, an ironic thing about um, with eighty cyberpunk is that enough time has gone by that it's like we are now living in the in like the dystopic future with the like gear that that's good, and it turns out everything is not um, everything is just dumb. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, I think that I think it's more. Uh, I don't, I can't say that I'm like, uh, incredibly well-versed in cyberpunk fiction, um, or really any fiction because I'm just like a nonfiction guy. Like I like reading theory and politics and history and I've always been like that. Um, uh, in some ways I'm a complete Philistine. Um, but it never really, 
What's that? Oh, I said, God forbid we have weird Philistines on this show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, but um, it, it it always struck me that like I wanted um, I wanted kind of like cyberpunk's Camus. That hmm. it's 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 not that it's not that the absurd was was like absent in in cyberpunk. Um, no, I heavily I relied wanted, on it. Yeah, I wanted I wanted like. I wanted something that was like a, a purely like absurdist work that recognized uh, both the futility and the necess- and, and the necessity of doing it. And maybe somebody wrote that, right? Like, like I'm not saying that. Um, I don't know. There you know, were, didn't. Yeah, there, um, there were a lot of Shadowrun novels, so. <laughs> you can definitely yeah, uh, The great unplayable but uh, awesome game. <laughs> We kind of do live in the corporate nation states. I mean, so. right? And, and, <laughs> it's, it's a little and, close. And, and like, yeah. Well, and, and and like Jacob said, like like it's 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 stupid, right? Like like I never imagined the uh, the end of even the sham of America's democracy to look quite as dumb as this. Uh, yeah. With you know dudes in red trucker hats and. <laughs> Uh, quite this naked, a you know, looting, and yeah. <laughs> it, it just it's it's wild. Yeah, and like not um, even like like Garth Ennis or Alan Moore or any other you know kind of like English, eighties or nineties, uh, you know, comic artists, you know, trying to be satirical about America would come would come up with this particular flavor. No, they they couldn't. They didn't even dream this, which is amazing because it's like. Wow, the future really is just as dumb. I will say that that's one thing. You mentioned Austin Walker earlier. One thing that's a longtime subscription to Giant Bomb, uh, both watching the vids and also listening to the podcast from, Christ, like, what, 2010, 2010, 2011 on, was, especially thanks to the memory of uh, one Ryan Davis, was my own, uh, a a more personal appreciation of... um, the difference between dumb and stupid and how in a certain in certain circumstances especially with vi- with uh video with uh, any video games in particular but any form of entertainment that um dumb could be you know a massively enjoyable thing and you know it's one of the things i always liked about like giant bomb forever like the, the kind of sp- almost kind of spread away point especially that are live things is an enjoyment of you know god this is really you know as you know jeff gerfman would always say this is real fucking dumb and it's great <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean, I like. Um, uh, I don't. I don't do a ton of stuff with video games anymore, and, and certainly not a lot of video game crit. Um, but uh, you know, sometimes I would get people who pres- kind of expected me because um, I'm, I'm I'm anti-corporate and I'm pro-union and um, and, and and I I'm, I'm an out, outspoken leftist. Right. Um, mm-hmm they kind of expected me to maybe enjoy smaller, like uh, rebellious art games or indie games. And I'd always tell them, I I really like stupid or not stupid, but you know what you said, dumb, just dumb video games. I I, I do. I have incredibly stayed tastes in, in video games. I want to shoot people. um, (laughs) I want the game to be loud. Um, uh, I really like strategy games, particularly about world war two. Where I'm just moving little things around, like in like 
like like the middle aged dad that I am, and you know, admiring my handiwork at encircling the Germans at Kursk or wherever. Um, that's that's my shit, right? <laughs> like, and, and 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 I think that that's I I know that 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 uh, that, that has bummed out a couple people, <laughs> where, where I'm just like, it, well, I mean. I could do that, but also Vermintide 2 came out, and uh, you know, I also am not done leveling up in Battlefield, and there's Elder Scrolls for me to play. So, How hyped are you about the new God of War? Uh, I don't have a console. I'm not a console gamer. Oh, so all right. I don't have it, won't have it, and I've never played a God of War. So, It's got a dad protagonist. I would think you'd be interested in it. That's what I'm hearing. Like, yeah. uh, but but I, I really got my dad protagonist in Witcher Three. Oh yeah, definitely. Like for sure, that's the best. Dad. That's yeah. That's like I got the good ending, and that was one of. And I have a daughter, right? Oh. And I don't want to do the thing where like, oh, I have a daughter, so I understand women and feminism now, because I'm not. <laughs> I, I, that's that's not what I'm saying. But uh, I am saying that, that that I have a daughter who is adventurous. And I got the good ending um, uh, with Geralt and Ciri like going off into the sunset. For the cockatrice. And we've a new contract. It won't pay much, but I think it's worth the toil. You've been busy. It's yours. A witcher's sword. Swallow. Oh, beautiful. May I? Not here. You'll have ample opportunity soon enough, witcher. Let's try it out then. And, like, I totally cried. I, I was that. just like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it right there. Siri's a good, a good protagonist. I mean, a good, like example a role model to give your daughter actually i think she's a good one i like her a lot yeah and yeah, yeah it was say just the yeah the pride the pride you can take your daughter of like teaching her how to use a sword and mm-hmm. how to just the, you know you just you know cut a motherfucker so yeah that's right so, yeah I, I i really really hope that they do a witcher for and that it that it is serious story Agreed. And I and, and and I hope that just like Geralt, she fucks and kills her way and like through the entire thing. Yeah. Right. Like just make her like a full equal and just just fucking do it. That would be awesome. Yeah, I have a lot of friends that write Siri fan fiction, so I have been exposed to a lot of the dreams <laughs> of women for that protagonist. So Yeah, well I'm I, sincerely that would just that would just be the best the best fucking game they like, have they have their they have they have they have their cyberpunk game to go through first mm-hmm. but anyway yeah I, I i i have some fairly high hopes for that um and and what's weird is that uh, mike pondsmith who uh wrote the cyberpunk rpg mm-hmm. there, there was some kind of like exchange deal where he's writing a witcher role-playing game like pen and paper oh cool. nice interesting yeah, but uh, the progress seems to be a little bit slow. Um, he he's very much kind of like old school, uh, or seems to be um, kind of like a, a solitary with some secondary game designers around him. I don't exactly know, and very very old school in design outlook. So it's liable to not be to be like a little too crunchy and a little too. 
you know, carrying around like a 500 page tome or some yeah, shit. Yeah, there's a lot of lore already in the franchise. And then Cyberpunk itself, I've played Cyberpunk 2020. Tabletop. Right. And Grognardi. It's insane. So, yeah, I can see them like holding up for 10 years before they could ever come out with it. Yeah, I don't I don't know about anybody else, but like I literally cannot play games like that anymore. You can't um, play tabletops or, or just. No, no, no. Tabletop. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I just had to um, I've, I've got a group. Uh, uh, most of most of the guys are in Funcom, you know, who did like oh, Age nice. of Conan and mm. Anarchy Online awesome. and stuff I like that. And Age of Conan, actually. So <laughs> yeah, um, uh, man, that game. I, know. Uh, I never. That's its own podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I, uh, I deliberately never really got into it. I figured even when MMOs were really like taking off like years ago, I figured the only thing that would ever get me to play an MMO would be like I think I tr- I tried the very first Lego one. It was either to be Lego or Fallout, and they never did. In the old, uh, you know, who knows if they'll ever come up with a Fallout one? Bethes- I'd be on that shit like like immediately. Yeah. <laughs> not if not if Bethesda writes it. Not um, yeah, that's true. But anyway. No, but like what I was gonna say was, um, and it's rolling, so you can incorporate this or not. Like it's whatever. But yeah. like what I was saying was that. Even D and D Fifth Edition, which I really get, and it's the most lightweight version of Dungeons and Dragons besides like basic D and D. I just don't have the time or the mental bandwidth to keep up with all the rules. And uh, like a few weeks ago, like I, I was just getting ready to do um, Tomb of Annihilation, you know, their new campaign. I even bought like the vinyl map oh, for dear. it, which is really nice. So we've gone already from like a $40 outlay or 50 to like, you know, pushing a hundred. <laughs> and I just like, I, like I looked at my group and I was like, guys, listen, like you're all dads. You all have real jobs. I'm, I'm all of that. And I have school. We keep calling out and not able to meet. And of course, you, you know how it is with like a role playing game. Yeah. It was like, you know, you go two weeks in a row without, without meeting you may as well kill it because you're not going to pick it back up and um i was like what i really want to do is i want to go get a dungeon crawl board game because they make a lot of those now yeah i just i want to get what i enjoy out of DD, which is the dungeon crawl portion and let's just do that because it takes zero prep work on anyone's part if somebody has to fucking miss or something like that, then it's not a big deal. We can keep going. Mm-hmm. If two of the four players have to miss, who gives a fuck? We just cancel and then we pick up because there's no real story to worry about, right? And, like, characterizations and all that. Um, and that was the right decision. Like, it's really good. Like, we picked up Warhammer Quest. I'm going to pick. Like, I'm gonna grab uh, Gloom Hollow, uh, Hollow at some point um, over the summer. And, like, we're just going to do that now. Um, we do plenty of you know, apocalypse world style games um, and stuff like that. But that's not really like my group's wheelhouse. Like they want to min max and fight monsters and, and all that stuff. And I'm happy to, I'm I'm happy to indulge them, but I don't know if I'm happy to indulge them in role-playing games. If that makes sense. Why not just like short circuit it and like have them play Munchkin? Because, because I want a little something more than that. Although, although there are weeks that we do board games, um, mm. but you know, you know, my brother said, um, uh, I, I was over at his place playing Warhammer and, um, I said, 
I, I looked at him and we were having like so much fun playing Warhammer Age of Sigmar and we, and we had our friend uh, you know a third third person our friend Scott with us and they were teaming up against me and I looked at him and I said god this is so much fun and he said something which was very real he said the average like wargaming or miniature games or board gaming session is better than the average role playing game session but the best role playing game session is better than anything you'll ever do with one of those like more tactile games with boards and pieces and everything like that and I was like yeah that's absolutely true I would agree <laughs> you know so yeah. what are what and, game are you playing? I'm sorry, I came in a little late. Oh, um, right now we're playing Warhammer Quest, okay. uh, Shadows Over Hammerhall, um, which is their kind of. Uh, it's not really procedurally generated, although the first box of the new Warhammer Quest was like it's 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 a dungeon crawl board game, nice. you know, set in the Warhammer universe. Um, I'm going to get Gloomhallow at some point, and I might do Descent, although I hear Descent takes a really long time to play. I yeah I have I have greatly I used to be much more you know going out to like weekly weekly or monthly board game nights but this was I think only a couple of years after I'd moved to Portland when mm-hmm. the um when like the you know there was a massive like euro game explosion um everybody wanted to play Ticket to Ride right hey I have uh, I have Ticket to Ride Marklin edition it's still my favorite yeah and but this it's just been just just years since that yeah they still actually put on a lot of those events in Portland I don't know about where you you're from, Ian? If they have that kind of um, culture, but like there's board game culture is pretty big here, which is kind of nice because you can meet a lot of people that love to play board games. But I'm personally in the D and D thing where it's like I would rather just have a, a theater of the mind experience than push things around on a map. Yeah, I mean, I um, I'm the same way, um, but I also am incredibly picky about my about what I want from a role-playing game. And that leads to me being very, very picky about who I play with. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm only energized if I get a certain experience. Right. And, and just in case a member of my group does listen to this podcast, this does not mean that I have had a bad time role-playing with you, but (laughs) I am am saying that like, uh, you know, the, the experience is such that most times when I do role-playing games, I'd rather do, the surefire thing of getting the board game out or, you know, the miniatures game and stuff like that. And like, honestly, like I gotta say that as, that as a continuous hobby, as in what I put the most amount of my brain space into in free time, like it really is miniatures wargaming, even though I gave it up for like 14 years. Um, That's cool that you were able to get back into it though. And it's, you know, it's still there and it's still going strong in my opinion. I mean, Warhammer lore is amazing, but I'm, it's like a, a bleak black box to somebody that's outside of it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. How how was your, uh, how was your weekend of uh, quote unquote playing Warhammer until you puked? Oh, it's fucking awesome. (laughs) It's like, it was so good. Um, yeah, like like generally speaking, is is like I go to my brother's place, uh, in Greensboro, which is about an hour west of Raleigh. And, um, pretty close to where i grew up and uh he has more space than i do and uh most of our wargaming circle is is like over there and i usually go up on like a friday and uh, because i don't have class on friday so i just fuck off out of here and i don't you know like it gives me like extra time so like we'll just drink or whatever on like friday night mm-hmm. and we'll get up on saturday and our friends will come over and we'll just fucking play all day and we and, and we'll have like campaigns and we've got like a group of you know in, including us like four so we'll have like two tables going at once so like 
you know, for doing like a like, like a map based campaign where like your little armies fight each other over territory or what the fuck ever it is. Nice. We do. Um, We'll have like two tables and then it'll be like, okay, uh, that took two hours and it's only 3.30. We can go until at least 10, so let's switch tables and people. And uh, yeah, and like I don't smoke anymore, but I smoke over there. So like we, we, we have, we'll have like – we'll set up a table actually outside on the porch. Nice. And uh, just like smoke cigarettes and like drink and just fucking play. Like it's so fucking good. Yeah. It really is. It's it, just the best thing. I really feel like that's the best experience you can have is having that weekend away with the games. We've done that with D&D before and it's been exceptional. Oh, yeah. I've, 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 I've got the fuck off out of town like, like once a month. Like I go up the first weekend of every month. And, it, you know, it's it's absolutely no disrespect, disrespect to my friends or Bali, <laughs> which is a city I love, or my family who I love or anything like that. But it's like I just have to uh, – I have to go be in a different world. And I'm very, very close to my brother. Um, so, you know, we've been, we've been best friends for most of our lives, you know, in addition to being brothers. I know that, like, most brothers don't get along. And, like, and, and, like I'll be over there sometimes and – uh, you know, he is a teacher who is very involved at his school. So he'll host like social functions at his place and stuff. Mm-hmm. And people will come over and he, I'll be there and he'll say, oh, hey, this is my brother. And every like third person, they'll give me a look like you hang out with your brother, <laughs> you know? So It's good to be close to your family, though. It it's is, such a, it it's is, just a blessing, is, really. It, yeah, but like uh, it, it very definitely is. Um, like family is hugely important, but also – that's the kind of thing that makes me realize that most or at least a significant minority of people are not close to their family or right. their siblings. Yeah, that is uh, especially like nowadays where it's the where mo- well for for plenty of folks it's like mobility is so easy that for example like all my uh, most of my mo- most of my family is three time zones east to here. And uh, I just I just moved out to Portland just because I wanted a, a city that was bigger than a, a bigger version of Ann Arbor and mm-hmm. unfortunately it was, you know, this far away but yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't do that. Um, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like, uh, not just the fact that we can be so mobile, so much as as it is the expectation that you're mobile really, really freaks me out. Um, you know, particularly kind of like flirting with getting my doctorate maybe going into academia and I'll, I'll talk to somebody and they'll say, no, you have to go way far away if you're going to get a job as a professor from where you get your doctorate. Um, and, um, you know, I kind of say, well, I'm not really willing to do that. So maybe I'll adjunct, <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. like what's the old, I can't remember who said it. It was, if it was like a, out of a Kundera book or something, but it's like, no one is an expert in their own backyard. As if, like, yeah. you know, everybody is like, you know, we knew you before you were you, pal. So uh, don't put, don't be putting on airs around here. So, yeah, I just, I, you know, for just, just aside from all that, it's just I like my family and I like where I live. You know, I, I like North Carolina. That's a blessing, to be honest with you, too. Like, I mean, <laughs> most people are like, I can't take it, but if you have it, keep it. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I I definitely know how how rare and lucky that is, but um, you know, I you know, I I also think it's a little bit fucked up that people are just like, oh well, I as a corporate uh, you know boss or whatever, I need you to move halfway across the country, mm-hmm. you know, and, and 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 that's just kind of to be expected. Uh, yeah, it's that a kind of freaks norm. me out a little bit because yeah. I just 
you know, landless, this is not where my head's ever been. Yep, landless surface and whatever. Oh, hello, cat. Right. That's right. Um, speaking of just you know cl- close relations with like with uh, my my brother helped me get back into pro wrestling. Um, it was like a rough segue, like way back. I think back during the because I remember, uh, yeah, back during the the Attitude Era. Right. We uh, you know as an '80s kid growing up, that was I we got into uh, we got into WWF right about right before WrestleMania two. Mm-hmm. And so we were, and so we were like big. Uh, in my dad, who was uh, his his great great grandma Cosset, would always take my dad to um, to the the matches in the in the Flint IMA, uh, you know, every Saturday. And the, the, the joke is that yeah, all of the uh, all the workers knew not to go over to you know to that corner of the crowd, as there's right. the old lady there who would just say it was still real to her. Damn it! And she would br- she would deliberately bring her umbrella with her. Um, to the matches and you know ex- not let it you know not really hide her uh her feelings about the you know about the heels but um well, one of the things that i didn't want to make because like you're you're currently covering what the pro wrestling beat for vice yeah i have i have a weekly column which goes up on tuesday um it's it's called bruise day um <laughs> and a bit of clever wordplay i love it uh, as vice is known for you yeah, certainly i don't yeah. get it <laughs> it's because Tuesday's when the beer comes out. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, but no, like it, it was, it was just wild to me. Um, and, and and I've been doing this for God, three years, two years, something like three years, I think. Um, it was, it, it was when Dusty Rhodes died because okay. Dusty died. Yeah, that was 2015, so almost yeah. three years. Um, and uh, I was just. Uh, I found myself way sadder than I thought I was going to be really? uh, when Dusty died. And um, I had uh, – I served as editor on uh, Nathan Pelletta's uh, worldwide wrestling role-playing game, which was – which is an Apocalypse World um, uh, hack. It's really, really good and everybody should go buy it if you're at all interested in role-playing games, indie role-playing games, or pro wrestling or all three. Um and uh, I was the editor on that, but he also asked me to write an essay in, uh, in the back because he had a few people write essays. Aubrey Sitterson, I know, wrote one, um, mm-hmm. a few other people who I can't recall off the top of my head. Uh, and I wrote about Dusty Rhodes as this working class hero in the South because he really, really was. Yep. Here is the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. And Dusty, your fans welcome you back, man. First of all... I would like to thank the many, many fans throughout this country that wrote cards and letters to Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, while I was down. Secondly, I want to thank Jim Crockett Promotions for waiting and taking the time because I know how important it was. Starcade 85, it is to the resident fans, it is to Jim Crockett Promotions. And Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, with that weight, got what I wanted. Remember, and the essay kind of like centered on this. I, I had this working class friend. Uh, his mom worked in a factory. I grew up in Lexington, North Carolina, which is a factory town, right? It's like it, it, in the '80s, it was textiles and furniture plants. That's where you worked. She worked at uh, a, a fiberglass plant, putting together like fiberglass. No, uh, I don't know. Oh wow, that's got to be in the a fiberglass plant in like the South. That's got to be rough for the lungs. I'm guessing. Oh yeah, no, I like 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 she died uh, young. 
mm. not like in her 40s or anything like that, but I know that she died maybe 10 years ago, which would place her around 60. Mm. And it's probably, you know, I didn't, uh, I, don't, I don't really keep up with him uh, anymore, so I didn't ask and I didn't pry. But, um, and, and, and we were watching, Ricky and I were like, obs- like my friend Ricky and I were obsessed with wrestling and I just remember watching it and, and, and her taking an interest in it because, partly because of Dusty Rhodes. Um, and anyway, I was sad and I said, hey, you know what, can I put, uh, I, I got in touch with Nathan and I said, I know that it's in your book and everything like that and people have to buy the book to read it, but do you mind if I put that on my blog? And he said, that's fine. And David Roth, who is at Deadspin now, but was at, um, uh, uh, is, 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 was an editor at Vice Sports at the time. He saw it because I tweeted it out. I said, this is, you know, I'm sad. This is what I wrote about Dusty. Uh, you know, a year ago, and he says, "Do you want to? Do you want to eulogize Dusty in Vice Sports?" And I was like, "Holy fuck, yes!" You know, like, like I'd love that. Um, and it took off. Uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't particularly wrong, but it was it was heartfelt. Like I wrote about what Dusty meant to me, um, and, and 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 very specifically, I think um, you know, I, I was born in Indiana, but I moved to North Carolina when I was two. I, I am Southern. Uh, mm-hmm. Even if my family is all from like New York City and and, and Minnesota, uh, you know the, the elder members of my family. Ooh, and um, yeah, and, there, and there's and of course there's no history of pro wrestling in either New York City right, or exactly. Minnesota or uh, Minnesota. Yeah, uh, but like like Dusty and 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 pro wrestling in general, but Dusty specifically and, and Flair are such a specifically Southern phenomenon for me. Oh hell yeah. Right? Ric Flair, the world's heavyweight champion. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Ric Flair. No respect, no honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work and got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years. 30 years. They give him a watch, kick him in the butt and say, hey, a computer took your place, Daddy. That's hard times. Rick, um, Rick Flair, Rick Flair, was he Charlotte or where did he? Charlotte. Okay, All those yeah. guys were Charlotte, right? Like, 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 like we would, you guys were listening to, uh, you're watching Hogan and Andre and all that shit. And I remember even being a kid being like, fuck that cartoony shit because Ric Flair bleeds and Dusty Rhodes has his leg broken. Like that shit's real. You and know? Yet I, and I still remember when, um, yeah, when, uh, when both of them came over and like, God, Dusty was like 88, I think, or 89. And that sounds about right. Yeah. In polka dots. <laughs> American dream. He's just a common man. Working hard with his hands. Um, and Flair, I think, I, I think it was like 91 or 92. I think it was 92. Okay. That seems right to me because he, because he'd had a dispute, but uh, you know, I, I, I just wrote, what I felt, right, which was that Dusty Rhodes represented a very specific uh, populist, left-leaning, southern um, 
uh, southern form of identity that we don't really get to see because you know we're all just we're all just hicks down here and we're all racist and <laughs> you know all that shit and you know we all vote republican um and that's just not true like 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 it's partly true but it's more complicated than that and and, and it went it, it went well like you know suddenly i'm sitting here and you know i'd had a certain amount of success with uh with writing but mick foley's like retweeting me and like praising it and um yeah that was just weird so they they invited me to keep writing and then i got a column and and now i write about wrestling every week <laughs> which is not really what i expected i'd ever be doing um but it's what i do so I'm not somebody who really keeps up with wrestling at all, but I was wondering, is there a union? Um, <laughs> Funny you ask. <laughs> uh, God, no. Um, they are, uh, even even at WWE, which is obviously the biggest uh, pro wrestling promotion in the world, they are uh, classified as independent contractors. Um, WWE, depending on where you are, pays really, really well. Um, but you don't get benefits, um, and, yep. uh, the travel's brutal. Yep. Um, you know, it, it's, you're, you're able to be fired at a whim, but also you are always expected to stay for the duration of their contract, of your contract. If you, if they decide they lose interest in you or there's a dispute or something like that. So they're not, it's rough. Um, which is not again to say that there aren't people who make out really, really well at it. Uh, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's fucked. Um, yeah. Dan O'Sullivan in, in Jacobin, uh, wrote obviously, which, what was, I, I think one of the definitive, uh, pieces on pro wrestlers as workers, um, which is, which is worth reading if you've not. And, and, and it goes into all of that about how, uh, wrestling promoters are some of the sleaziest people that American business has ever seen. And the workers are just ruthlessly exploited and have always have been. So yeah, it's, it's rough. And, 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 and I don't see a union coming. I think there's too many people, uh, willing to, um, just cut car- their coworkers throats. Yeah. To, you know, if, do if, it. If so. not literally. Yeah. The, uh, the story of why they don't, um, <laughs> Which actually does come to think it does connect up to New York uh, websites, uh, publishing websites, as it were. Um, but um, no, yeah, the the, the, the uh, it was just the weirdest thing. How about you have uh, the guy who would later turn uh, later go on to be uh, just a libertarian governor of a state was the guy you know was it pushing the hardest to uh, for for uh, wrestlers to be unionized. Yeah, like Jesse Ventura wanted to unionize, and mm-hmm. the story is is that Hogan backstabbed him and ratted him out to Vince McMahon, and uh, that's why Jesse Ventura got fired uh, uh, by WWF uh, at the time, and uh, he went to WCW for a little while and was an announcer, and then he went on to become <laughs> mayor of whatever town it was, and then he went on to become governor of Minnesota. Um, but you know, a, a word for Jesse Ventura because he's he's one of those people who claimed to be libertarian i don't know how libertarian he ever was like like i i think that libertarian for some people particularly boomers has become kind of a catch-all for something that's not democrat or republican um socially liberal usually right i mean what's that socially liberal usually 
Yeah, certainly. And but like if if he was unionizing, like you you know he's hardly a, a you know Rand an Ayn Rand libertarian in the yeah. way that like you know Kane is or yeah. something like that. Oh God, um, he's, he's still he's fuck. I forgot he's still running for office, isn't he? Yeah, he is um, mayor of whatever town it is in Tennessee. Yeah. Um, but like but, but like I have an old friend. I I, I don't. Uh, we had a falling out, and I don't keep in touch with him. But I know that he ran um, for North Carolina um, House of Representatives as a libertarian, and he's not libertarian like at all. Was it just um, a thing of like just not Republican or not Democrat? But it's like you know, kind of like you know that weird mix of like sort of Republican, but only like you know want you know still likes likes to smoke pot and you know have prostitutes or something. Or <laughs> well, well. <laughs> Uh, he d- he did like to smoke pot, um, although 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 I don't I, none of the other stuff. Um, but it, it was because in North Carolina, at least at the time, I don't know if this is still the case. If you wanted to run as an independent, you couldn't and get on the ballot. You had to register to run as a libertarian. So you had a bunch of people who like registered as libertarians who were socialists or you know centrists or you know whatever yeah. centrists or something like that. Um, so. That's kind of one of those things where it, it it just serves as a stand-in. Like you know, Jesse Ventura is weird, uh, but you know, I don't I don't I don't know how libertarian he actually it's, was. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the greatest uh, one of the greatest on uh, part of one of the greatest uh, play-by-play and color commentary teams ever. Also, no one's gotten closer to the truth about the JFK assassination. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I wish I could. I, I wish I could do uh, uh, James Adomian's uh, oh, yeah. impression yeah. of him. The Howard Stern Show. Jesse, <laughs> it is so great to see you. Yeah, well, it's good to be back. I've been waiting in Mexico for your phone call. You know, you have so many theories and thoughts. It's you're just a fascinating man, and you were governor, and you were a wrestler. Well, take a pick. Is it a theory or a thought? Right. What am, am I thinking it or or is it been you know is it scientifically provable or uh, answer the question once and for all? Are you running governor for president? What are you doing? Look, I don't know if I'm running for president. I might just be running for exercise. Isn't that enough, Howard? Right. You I'm know, running four miles an hour. Do you when you talk about uh, conspiracy theories? Do you believe Canada? Is behind 9/11. Let me let me lay out my theory on 9/11 for you because we've yep. danced around it a few times on the show, Howard. Right. I but no, this is after I've read the documents. Right. Have you read the documents? I have not, but you are an avid. I reader. subscribe. And to, you were a Navy SEAL. I was a Navy SEAL. Right. I was an Intercontinental Tag Team Champion. Have some respect. Okay. So tell I've me, hunted predators in Guatemala, Howard. How do you know what <laughs> happened on 9/11? Movies. Look. Well, the, they were. Robin, predator was a, leave him alone. Robin, I'll have you know, Predator was a documentary, <laughs> and we right? lost creative control. That's why my character had his chest blown out oh. because I was going to expose it. So you're saying that was a real thing? Yep, and that they, goes. They, it goes all the way to the top. Iran Contra. That's what that was all about. Nine eleven, though. Explain once. Let's talk your it. Theory. Yeah. Okay. I've I've looked at the facts. I've had some time in Mexico. I sit in the waves on my surfboard. Right. And I I think I piece it together, and I have documents. Documents I bring out with me into the surf, and some of them get wet and pulp, right. and they float away. <laughs> By the way, I subscribe to Documents Monthly. Right, it's a magazine. They send uh, documents to you in a Manila folder, and then right. there's a children's magazine that comes with it. Suspicions for children, because that's that's the shit right there. But I can't. I'm not that good. Yeah, like he actually, he will actually, will, yeah, Domian will actually say, "Well, well, listen, gorilla." And I always got to, I always really enjoy that, and. Um, 
but you know, but that's the thing is, like, you talk about how yeah, wrestling promoters can be like scum of the earth. It's kind of, you know, it's it's um, it's more than you know, not even like a little irony about how like our current president was, you know, massively affiliated with WWF from shit for what uh from like WrestleMania four onward. And I always heard that it was kind of like, I think both, like he and Vince, I think, felt a kinship because they were both like, you know, um, son, you know, kind of like the really, you know, emotionally abused sons of extremely like rich and powerful men having to kind of grow up in in that shadow and prove themselves in like 80s New York. And now, you know, Vince's wife is on on the goddamn, uh, is on the goddamn cabinet. Yeah, well, I mean, I said that, um, uh... I, I, I was on a panel uh, last November at a conference, and it, it was about Trump and pro wrestling. And I said that we don't we don't know a lot about Vince McMahon, right? It's kind of this this a lot of his life is just lore. He's 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 almost this this final folkloric character, like you know a fucked up rich Paul Bunyan or something like that, <laughs> where he's he just. Uh, he's, he's simultaneously extremely public and extremely private, so we don't really understand him, and he's weird, too. Like, that's all we really know about him. But what I said was was that I, I think he's a lot like Trump, and we can learn yeah. a lot about what Vince is like by learning what Trump is like. And simultaneously, we can figure out how Trump might behave by watching the way that Vince McMahon behaves, um, particularly when it comes – to the way that Vince just very obviously uh, broadcasts his uh, neuroses yeah. through pro wrestling on television, mm-hmm. um, and 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 I maintain that like 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 I whoever was talking to you know that that bit about um, how they they're just both very obviously emotionally damaged but very rich people mm-hmm. uh, grappling with uh, their how what it was like to 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 deal with these larger than life fathers like that seems extremely apt to me I, you know i know we're not supposed to psychoanalyze and we're all supposed to do materialist analysis now and everything like that but <laughs> i'm all about the psychology um, analysis because i think it reduces them down to human beings which is what they are and the, yeah. the personalities they portray are caricatures of themselves but at the same token they kind of learn from the best in, well, yeah, I mean, know. yeah, like, like like wrestling is method acting, yeah, right. Like like, like they really are the best method actors. Um, that that, that Ric Flair documentary, really, I think uh, that ESPN did. Is that a thirty really, for thirty or? Yeah, it okay. was a thirty for thirty. It was it was really good. Um, somewhat sanitized in the sense that they're just um, anything that WWE touches is just not going to be tell all like, like it's just not just, just put that expectation aside so the incident um, with like him and, and Roddy Piper with the uh, <laughs> uh, just completely weird was it the, the story I think Roddy Piper even talked about it in his uh, in his bio about um, like they went to some match in like what Jamaica or something and Roddy Piper got paid in a with a paid he was paid with a sugar bowl only the sugar bowl was not filled with sugar <laughs> and like you know, at some point, uh, right. yeah, just it's cocaine. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, well, I so 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 I've not read Piper's biography, but the the Ric Flair documentary did a really good job of it, it was the other people that were talking, not Ric Flair, and they were saying uh, there's a story that Jim Ross told about how uh, they were in Kansas, like in the middle of nowhere. You know, we were in a some little town, and we were staying at a, at a Holiday Inn. And we went to the bar after the show, after the TV taping. 
in the hotel. There might have been 10 people in the bar. Had one server. And they'd done some shows and Flair, this was back in WCW, I believe, mm. um, or, or late in, in NWA before it transitioned. And Flair's like, oh, man, it's, 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 it's 11 p.m. I'm not ready to go to bed and I don't want to be alone and we're going to go to the bar. And Jim Ross is like, okay, we'll go to the fucking bar, Rick, whatever. And Ric Flair goes from buying drinks for he for, for him and Jim Ross to buying drinks for the entire bar. That sounds about <laughs> right. right, yeah. He ordered 137 kamikazes. Couldn't be serious, could he? I mean, 137 kamikazes, there's, there's 10 people here. Then he got the tray and he was serving drinks and flirting with all the women. Because, and, and it was dual purpose. On the one hand, uh, uh, and, and this isn't worth going into, you know, short form in a podcast, but like Ric Flair was dealing with his own uh, family abandonment issues. Mm-hmm. But the other thing was, was that Ric Flair was a character. And in wrestling at that time, to be a character, you had to be a character all the time. You stayed in it. So these, yeah. these men and women, but mostly men, would just completely lose themselves in their characters. Next thing you know, he's on the bar and he's dancing and he's having a great time. And they're loving it because they're actually partying with the nature boy, Ric Flair. Can't we just go in and order a couple of drinks? You buy a round, I'll buy a round and, and uh, have a little conversation and call it a night. But it's got to turn into a party. But more I got to know him, I, it was just that he needed companionship. He needed somebody with him, even if it was another guy, just to shoot the breeze. So he wouldn't be isolated. And to a not insignificant extent, I think that that is what Trump and Vince McMahon have done. Um, There was just this thing about – and I can't remember. I think it was in the Washington Post. But it was a guy who interviewed Trump for like a Forbes richest 500 people or 50 people or what the (laughs) fuck ever. Yeah, it was like that kind of – it was something like – Trump kept saying that he had like 100 million or something and only – yeah, so it's like it's like 1982, and it's the inaugural one, and everything like that. And this guy finds out that Trump isn't as rich as he says, and he gets a call from this guy named like John Barron. Oh yeah, who's like, oh no, you know, Trump actually is that rich. Uh, you know, I'm kind of connected to the family, and it really is his own money and not his father's and stuff like that. And he realized years later that that wasn't John Barron. John Barron doesn't exist. That was Donald Trump calling him. Oh my God! Yeah, that, there's a reason why. There's a reason why he named his son Barron because that was his. That was his hey. alter ego. Yeah, his alter. Oh. Jacob, yes. you, had a, you had a question. I had a point really, which is I just realized that the singularity is actually upon us, and <laughs> the issue is that it's it's, a, it's not computers that are going to overwhelm us. It's fiction. Fiction is the technology that's going to take us over. Yes. I you love know, this. Yes. Vince and Trump and Pompeo has this whole ongoing thing about whether or not he was actually in a war. And I realize that since Black Mirror is never wrong, <laughs> the Waldo <laughs> moment is going to happen. And in the comics, Tony Stark was in like the in the Department of Defense for a while. That's going to happen. We're just going to have Tony Stark in there. We're going to have somebody that's lying. I mean, if you can have like what's your face sell the Department of Defense. Yeah, we're going to have unusable. Mark Zuckerberg will run for president, but he'll just have Jesse Eisenberg run for him. Mm-hmm. That's the future. Yeah, it's like... well, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm even more pessimistic in that I don't think that it's just. Uh, I, 
I don't think that it's just those people or powerful people or politicians or anything like that. I think it's us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, like, like I am not, I'm not the person that I am on Twitter. Right. I, I very carefully curate what I say when I say it. Um, every bit as much as any performance artist or anything like that, even though I'm a very mundane person on Twitter. Right. And we've um, had, we've had performance artists on the show. This is your comrade communicator coming to you live and on tape from my mother's basement. Like within the last couple of months, in fact, anyway, but yeah, mm-hmm. go on. Yeah. Or, and you know, we, you know, we all use nom de plumes, uh, there is, of course, reams of research that everybody knows about that that if you look at social media, particularly things like Facebook and Instagram, you get depressed because you see all your friends putting forth their best faces while you are simultaneously doing the same thing, but you also think that you're that their lives are so much better than yours. But they're not. They're just curated. We're all absolutely curated. Now. Yeah. It's almost like a, like a form of imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah but like it seems even worse than that, right? Because I have imposter syndrome. Right? I, think, right? I think all of us do. I think it's just a natural progression of right. being anybody in our cohort. Who does, yeah. Any, anybody who does anything creative, um, uh, you know, or does work in the public feels that to a certain extent. I think that people really do feel miserable and not in the imposter syndrome sense, but in the sense that, um, this world is designed think, to make you miserable. I mean, What's that? I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no, no, no. I, I was just going to say that this curated lifestyle is a response to the idea. I mean, we live in this capitalistic society that tells us that we can continue to buy our way into happiness, and we are not going to be able to do that. And so we continue to present this reality that's not real. And, you know, I mean, I think, especially being a woman, I feel like this is almost more. And not to say that men have it less difficult, which because you mm-hmm. you do have your own things, but like the the, the idea of appearance, and yes. the idea of seeming like everything is fine, everything is okay. I need to maintain this is so ingrained within our society that that that, that that's where the depression comes from. Because you look at somebody else and you go, oh, they seem to have it all together, and then you meet them again in real life. Like some of my friends, and I don't want to call anybody out here, but. I will go to their houses and I'll be like, wow, you know, your Facebook posts look really good, but you are a fucking mess. She's talking about me. Yeah. No, I explicitly yeah. said fem- female friends for that reason, because I, I'm personally one of those people. I, I have a really great Instagram profile, but if you went to my room right now, you would cry. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, I think there's also a gap when you run into someone in real life that you know online and... And I've certainly had this uh, – I've, I've had this happen where somebody has like read something that I've written or, um, you know, been, been affected by an essay or something like that. Um, I, I got this around something that I wrote in the Los Angeles Review of Books about being sick and engaging in entertainment as a means of just keeping your sanity. Mm-hmm. And they will act like 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 weird around me, right, that I'm – something that I'm not and like I live a remarkably mundane boring life yeah and there's this dual what I I don't know what to expect and also feeling kind of let down Mm -hmm. you know that that you're kind of talking about like like you're gonna meet me and you're gonna see that I leave my socks on the floor yeah (laughs) and you're gonna be 
kind of like, well, what the fuck, you know? Well, I also think that that, that, that is a, one of the things that, I, and, you know, we have this, I, I'm kind of new to this idea of online popularity and, and networking and being around people in general. I'm a kind of a hermit and a antisocial person in general. But the whole idea that your heroes or the people that you respect and look up to are actually just normal human beings is, mm-hmm. is actually one of those things that we should have learned a long fucking time ago. But we've had a lot of hero worship in our society in general. And we've elevated people to the point where they, we no longer see them as being human beings. We see them as being somehow superior to us. And in reality, for me, it, like, I, I just don't feel that that's a healthy way to deal with the rest of humanity. You have to treat them like they are human beings and they have needs and functions and they shit and they eat and they do all the things that we do. You know, like, lose that kind of idea, you know, respect and love what they can do, but also just realize that they're human beings and that, you know, we're all kind of in the same boat that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, there's there there are limitless layers of corruptibility to all of that. And um, yeah, it's just but, you know, the idea that we can just invent ourselves and fool ourselves about what other people are seems to at this point in the Internet's lifespan, that seems to be the entire point of it. It is, you know, and and, and, yeah, and only ourselves. So it's kind of like the whole point is. It's like, yeah, like negative solidarity is built into the basic framework. Mm-hmm. It's that um, subject-object thing where we're kind of like making objects of ourselves, you know. Absolutely. Um, because we are constantly projecting uh, something to other people through this this weird medium um, and, and constantly curating ourselves, not for ourselves, but for other people, right? Right. Yeah. Like, who the fuck posts anything on Twitter that's just for them? Who the <laughs> fuck has, has, has zero Twitter followers or hopes to always have zero Twitter followers who's tweeting or posting on Facebook or whatever, right? That's just not for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. You know? Well, I think the cat pics are both for me and for the viewing audience, so. <laughs> like, 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 that is as generous as it can be, right? Like, yeah. like, like the most generous, optimistic view of how we engage with social media and curating ourselves for the internet is that it's for me and someone else. It's never for just me. Um, by definition, it can't be. Right. Because... So the otherwise it wouldn't be, yeah, otherwise it would, it would just, you know, <laughs> we have, we've, we've, we, I guess we do have forms of solipsistic media, but it wouldn't exactly be social now, would it? Yeah. Even if I'm posting something on Tumblr and it's only getting five likes, you know, I'm still posting it to an audience and it's bullshit. But at the same token, like I feel sometimes I I just think we do live kind of in a really strange time where we spend a lot more time online than in real person interactions. And so for some of us who are like that, it's like our alienation is so great that reaching out and actually starting to have these relationships online might actually might be helpful for some of us that don't necessarily have the capacity to handle a lot of in-person kind of socialization that yeah that's actually an interesting point and we can bring this up to back to a, a political thing of the um 
people talking about because you know leftist organizing is now is become like a, a thing for a lot of more people then and but people are realizing is like the way that we use that people talk about like politics or even like you know a lot like a lot of, a lot of lefty shit online if you only went off of what people how people exchange online you just be like you know why the hell would I ever want to get involved with this in the first place but if you actually go to something in real life and talk to folks and it's just it's you know it is um you know it is it's uh what I'm saying, it's it's replenishing, it's refreshing, it's kind of you know it it brings a sort a source of joy. It's great to kind of meet up with like you know comrades in real life and realize, hey, you you know you are not the you are, you are not alone. There are other folks who are you know who believe in this thing with you, and you know t- uh, together in real life and working on this shit, you can do something better. Well, all that said, I think there are positive aspects the, to the technology. One of my closest friends is deaf. And I know a little bit of sign, and she's got one of those uh, implant things, mm-hmm. and she can kind of use that, although she's not a big fan. But I realized that we can both watch uh, TV shows together with a website with a with a website called Rabbit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's really amazing to be able to have this media experience with her, which would be really tough to arrange otherwise. Yeah. And she can actually respond to what's happening and type out, oh, shit, when there's a shocking betrayal, <laughs> you know, and it happens in real time. And, you know, that's, that's been a really big moment for us being able to do that. Yeah, it's absolutely a form of accessibility. Yeah. I, and, and, and by all means, I, I am not like uh, there are things that there are a lot of things that I'm pessimistic about the the basic structure that we've created for Internet interactions. But um it's it's definitely not all bad um uh twitter is uh (laughs) kind of laden with that ironic uh oh yeah i really like this website but it's 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 slowly destroying my brain kind of kind of thing and 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 that's true Like, like there is a lot to like about it um there's there's a lot to like about me being able to talk to you know my friends in California who moved away who I miss or my best friend who moved back to England. There's a lot to I, I wouldn't have a job without the internet. There's there's there, there's accessibility. There's there's the fact that you have the entire catalog of human knowledge like at your fingers so much so that you don't even think about using it or worse. You just forget that it even can be used for mm-hmm. that. Right. Right. Um, like, like that's all fucking amazing. Um, I, I just wish that it wasn't paired with this, um, co-opted monetized method, of not method requirement to constantly invent a you that's not really you yeah and that could never be you yeah um that's what bums me out about it i agree i think it it works along really well with the point that jeremy made about going out and socializing with people and kind of having this moment where you 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 are accepted you know like i mean if you're online you're like oh god i'm gonna get called out for like my post i made five years ago but in in real life that's that shit's never gonna happen you're gonna be having a conversation with somebody and actually connecting with them in a human way which um we need more of as time goes on because we are very slowly not very slowly we're very quickly being subsumed by this online thing so I might tie this into your articles about superheroes, though. 
mm-hmm. in as much as I grew up reading. I know su- that they bother. <laughs> well, I grew up reading superhero comics. I'm obviously a devotee of the medium uh, and the and the specific genre. And I agree with your critique, but and this is something that you got into to a certain extent in your next article. It has more or less been dominated by two major corporate interests, and I think that's a real shame. I think superheroes are actually very essential to the world we live in now because they are a rare form, at least potentially, of a story about power and what you do with power. Because narrative tends to favor the underdog, and if you are a walking tank, or you can you know destroy a building with a few punches that these are stories that need to be told now these are we are an incredible superpower in real life in the world and we have the ability as a country to do insane things and i think it's important to have conversations about what that means and i think it's a real shame that it comes down to them immediately coming up with these ideas about well what if this guy was actually the underdog again and he had to punch a lot of people, which is just not that <laughs> interesting. Not a, it's, it's, so this is archetypal mythology for our age, and we're not telling those stories. We're telling stories about well, what if he gets punched again, right? Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'd offer a couple things. Well, one, I want to say that like, even though I've never been like a huge fan of comics, I really, really like superheroes outside of comics. Like I like superhero role-playing games and video games and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm completely not immune to uh, the appeal. Um, and in fact, one of my favorite role-playing games is kind of an arty game called Nobilis, which was a game. It was a diceless game. Hmm. We played like gods. Oh, neat. I haven't and uh, it was not about what you could do, like the limits of what you could do, but what you did with this more or less limitless power, right? That's awesome. Um, and it was cool. It sounds like a Peter Molyneux game almost or something. <laughs> uh, it, oh, man. It was it was made by, and, and she changed her name. It was made by a professor from Georgetown named uh, Rebecca Sean Borgstrom. Hmm. And it is this, uh, uh, this, like, work of art. It's this table, it's this coffee table-sized book with, like, photos of, greek statues and stuff and it's 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 pretty amazing um but yeah so like so it's like that narrative i get what i would offer in as as kind of a counter to the idea that we need um these stories about what it is to be uh essentially an individual with power and i'm putting the word individual in your mouth even though you didn't say it because superheroes are necessarily stories about individuals is that we don't need stories about individuals with power anymore we need stories about groups with power Yes. Because uh, even if we localize uh, the power of the ascendant capitalist right wing to uh, a few individuals, it's still backed up with uh, many, many, many times that number of people. They they derive their power from our submissiveness, uh, our submissiveness essentially, mm-hmm. um, and. The only way to combat that is with the power of many, many people who are no longer submissive and who who, who are no longer willing to be exploited. Um, so, you know, again, that is not to say that the that the superhero stories aren't entertaining. Um, that there's not a mythopoetic uh, 
aspect to them which harks back to much older stories um but it is to say that whatever they have become now is not necessarily what they were 75 years ago and they're not also necessarily what we need especially in the movie-fied uh you know seven different x-men titles Mm -hmm. world that we live in now I, i don't disagree but again i think if you look at the current state of the Marvel Universe, for example, I mean, they all know each other, they all hang out, and one of the biggest events of the last 15 years was Civil War, which was basically about two groups of superheroes getting into a fight over legislation. I mean, they are acting more and more as a cohesive unit, so I think sure, there are yeah, elements like... of that, that I think you could tell a lot of interesting stories, but because there are two corporations that basically have total control over what stories are getting told you're not really seeing genuinely interesting concepts coming forward yeah i agree with that i I, you know ultimately whatever i think of of comic books uh is skewed at least a little bit by the idea that i can't and, and i don't think anyone can or should separate the way that they're created and who creates them from it. I'd I'd be really interested to see a world where they're, uh, you know, whoever the nineties, um, breakaway companies were like, what was it like image? Um, Mm -hmm. all the others, I don't know, you know, like, 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 honestly, I, I have these half formed memories of, um, you know, spawn and and (laughs) the other, non-big two comics coming out I'd, I'd be interested in seeing what would happen if three or four of them took like a really significant side chunk of the comic book audience right so that instead of just having these two monoliths you had these five or six smaller but still substantial companies uh both competing to actually offer like more creative control and um, uh, lasting benefits to the creators as well as trying to one up each other in terms of original stories that could be told in the, yeah. but we don't live in that universe. Yeah. Just, so it's funny you mention yeah. that because we're coming, we're, call, we're talking to you from Portland where just a few miles South of where we are, dark horse is, is headquartered image moved up here there there's at least um it's like well i think what portland really is is it still is it has it actually become like the number one city for like comic creators or is it is it still kind of new york because i think or is it just too disparate out of new york i don't know i would say portland's number one for independent people okay yeah yeah that's boss and 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 that's you know i i hope they do more (laughs) you know or at least as much as they can yeah but it's such a struggle um because of the way that the I mean I can't speak to this as much as Jacob can but I do know that it's it's difficult as an indie comic creator to get your work out there and also to make sure that it's distributed one of the things we usually do for a closing bit here is uh, ask everybody if you have any uh, recommendations or endorsements of stuff you've been digging on or you know wh- who have you been reading that are you know re- you really think others should be uh, others should be checking out or you know auth- stuff to recommend and uh, to everybody else um, either you guys want to go first or should I or should I throw it to our guest I know what I've got okay Natasha unless the guest wants to go first that's always nice or no, do you want to think about it thing. okay well, it's kind of relevant to what we were talking about earlier, but I have been watching Critical Role Season 2. I've never watched the first season because it's like 113 episodes that are three or four hours long. Because, of course, it's watching a group of friends play a role-playing game. 
Hello, everyone. <laughs> and welcome to tonight's episode of Critical Role, where a bunch of us nerdy-ass voice actors sit around and play the first game of our new campaign in Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, gosh. Okay. Actually, these both sleep. I'm going to use thaumaturgy, and I'm going to make all the windows in the place, like, open up really fast, like, crash open. Okay, you watch Jesus, as, as, as four of the nearby windows <laughs> slam open with a sudden burst of wind, and all the various bits of torchlight that light the deeper, kind of more shadowed corners of the room suddenly darken and flicker. <laughs> the music suddenly comes to a stop. <laughs> Everyone kind of... Holds their position and kind of glances over to the table we are all sitting. Jester, don't you remember us talking about keeping a low profile? <gasps> You're right, I'm sorry. I use thaumaturgy and I close all the windows. <laughs> <laughs> they all slam shut a second time. The light flickers and then brightens back to its normal place. Everyone. Ta <laughs> yeah! <laughs> yeah! Come see me tonight at the carnival. I'm really good. They're playing D&D 5e, and it's a Twitch stream every Thursday, which I cannot make because I have a D&D game then, but watching it on YouTube has been a really, really great experience, learning about how to play the game and also learning how people that are professional voice actors sound when they make voices well, and learning how to roleplay that way is really, really good. So I also got the chance to meet Matt Mercer, who's the GM, and Marisha Ray, who's a player, but also his wife. When I was in Wonder, when I was in LA at WonderCon, that was so much fun. They were such good people, and yeah. Anyway, that and then I met um, recently going to Chapo. I met um, my friend Rob, who does the DM of None podcast with his friend, and I really highly recommend that. Very short, thirty to forty-five minutes episodes. But if you want to learn about how to play D anD D, that's a good way to start. So I recommend that one. And yeah, awesome, Jacob. Did you did you have anything or? I have been consuming content at an amazing pace. I have been watching every single superhero show. I have been playing video games for four hours a night. <laughs> I am a machine. I have nothing to recommend. My life is hell. Everything I've been watching is terrible. Everything I've been playing is disappointing. And I what just is your not recommend? What is your, like, I hate this. I would hate everything about it. I shouldn't... I, I, could, I will spontaneous combust, spontaneously combust if I have to watch it again. Yep. I have been watching every single superhero or comic book TV show that comes out. The one that I have actually finally given up on is Krypton. I didn't even know that was a show. It is a prequel about Superman's grandfather living on Krypton before it blows up. Jesus Christ. It broke me. That is the show. Does this sound like CW stuff, or...? It's sci-fi, I think. Oh, oh dear. Oh, God. But that's the one that got me. Is it, like, very, very obviously made in Vancouver, or...? It's actually pretty good in terms of set design. It looks like an alien planet. Oh, okay. It borrows a lot from the Man of Steel series in terms of the visual aesthetic. And it's a good-looking show, but it's just so god-awfully boring. I can't, I can't, I just can't. So that would be my anti-recommendation. I'll go for the thing, thing, thing I want to recommend is a book that I got off on sale from Haymarket Books up in Seattle last month, a uh, book from Sharon Smith called Women in Socialism, Class, Race, and Capital. Fully revised and updated edition came out. I think it was the original version she had written back in about 04. She revised and updated it and released this one about 2015 or so. It's a great overview of everything. Go I mean, going like the you know going back to, I mean like uh, you have everything from like um, 
the history of several like just regular like normy feminist movements to like a lot of like seventies radical radical movements to even like there's an, the entire chapter up front about like um, of just getting into like all, like all like the, a lot of like Marx and Engels stuff about like Mar- Engels' book about the origin of the family and just kind of tying that in like providing the theoretical basis that I think is great and so it's a lot of it is a, it is an expansive book that uh, is, it's one of the, I always you know one of our uh, we always have guests who tell us that we um, who suggest that we read more history than theory and this is a great um, a great mix of that so it's uh, women and socialism class race and capital by Sharon Smith out from Haymarket Books very cool. Okay, actually, um, I do have a recommendation now. Somebody sorry. just sent me a link to a Taylor Swift cover of Blank Space uh, that's done by Cats, and I haven't actually listened to it yet, but I assume it's amazing, so I recommend everybody check that out. Oh, God. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Link, will, link uh, will be in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen, yes. That should be our outro music. Oh, dear. I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um I it is uh, during the semester, so I do not pleasure read. I'd recommend Heidegger, which is most of the semester, but I don't know that I can actually recommend that. <laughs> um, I do have some video game recommendations, though. Go I for have it. been playing Deep Rock Galactic, and if anyone knows me, they know that I am obsessed with dwarves, Yay. like fantasy dwarves. And you play space dwarves, who it's kind of like a Left for Dead game. You and your buddies go uh, into one of several different biomes deep under the earth of this planet, and you have to mine X number of minerals. And uh, the maps are procedurally generated, but really, really cool and fun. So it's different every time you play. Uh, They're really big, and you can get lost in the caves and stuff like that. Awesome. Um, And you can mine anything. So it's kind of like Minecraft with Dwarf Fortress, with Left 4 Dead, with... Uh, man, I don't know. There's something else mixed in there. But anyway, that game is awesome. I've also picked back up um, The Elder Scrolls Online because I'm a big Elder Scrolls oh, nerd. Cool. And oh, I boy. really, really like it. And um, yeah, that game is in a good place. I played the uh, beta. I didn't really... play the actual game, but I really loved playing the beta. Yeah, like, oh, it's a much better game now. Yeah. There's just like essentially everything scales to your level. And nice. it's pretty much the entire Elder Scrolls world. So if you like the Elder Scrolls world, if you like the aesthetics, mm-hmm. or you like the history, or you like the idea of it, like you can now just wander around in it at Yay. your leisure, at your pace, and just see everything. Chim. What is Chim? Oh, wait. <laughs> wait, no, what is Chim? What do you mean, Chim? Sounds like somebody needs to reread their Vivek. What? Oh, oh, it's a yes, Lord thing. Yes. It's no, a thing. No, no. Um, uh, Chim is, uh, Chim is bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I tried I tried really really hard to uh they they did a Morrowind um uh, uh expansion for Elder Scrolls and it's like it's set before um you know the actual Elder Scrolls world mm-hmm. and uh I tried really really hard to figure out how to kill Vivek <laughs> and uh never could but that was upsetting There you go You tried yeah, anything else the only the only thing I've been playing is like Stellaris and Far Cry 5 so God, yeah, Stellar, uh, Stellaris is in a really good place right now too, and uh, that came out at roughly the same time as like Hearts of Iron Four, and I was like, oh, Hearts of Iron Four is like clearly the better game, not because it's necessarily good, but because Stellaris kind of sucks. But Stellaris is good now. I like Stellaris. Um, oh, I've been playing Vermintide too as well, but like basically any Warhammer game, I'll play it. So, but also Vermintide Two is actually good. 
All right. And- Vermin- Vermintide 2, I'm, I'm totally cutting you off because oh, yeah, go. because Vermintide 2 is a game for everyone, even if you don't like Warhammer. So sincerely, go check out Vermintide nice. 2. Sweet. All right. And, well, let's see. Uh, okay, everybody, how can uh, how can, uh, <laughs> how can folks find you online, yeah, even if you want um, to go first? Oh, me first? Okay. Sure. <laughs> uh, you can find my column uh, at Vice Sports every Tuesday. Um, you can also uh, follow me on Google+. Plus. I don't really post there very much, but you can find links to my role-playing game that I wrote um, and some other stuff. Nice. And uh, you can always find me at Twitter at Brock underscore Tune. Nice. Uh, you can find me, Nat, at Ashes for Foxes on Twitter. Um, also find us at Metamachina. That's my podcast, um, M-E-T-A-M-A-S-H-I-N-A. And we talk about monster fucking a lot. <laughs> Jacob? I'm on Twitch almost every night now, at Jacob Mercy. Also Twitter, at Jacob Mercy. And I'm also on Facebook. If you have anything you want photoshopped, just let me know, because I'm really... I, oh, that's another recommendation. I recommend uh, Photoshop. I'm super into Photoshop right now. <laughs> I love Photoshop. And if you want something to be photoshopped for you, just at Jacob Mercy on Twitter with yeah. your proposed shop and uh the uh, once again please uh, the the usual request for you can find uh you've, the show on twitter is giving the mic we're on facebook facebook.com slash giving the mic as always uh, because like uh it, it always helps to ask if you can take a second and find us on itunes and uh give us a rating and just a quick little uh I wonder if I should actually institute a thing where, like, every time we get, like, a really good rating, we actually read it out and shout out people or something. I think it's good. Rate and review, because that is the only way people get visibility, and I can speak for that personally now. All right, and we even have a, uh, yeah, actually, I just realized we even have a YouTube channel that I need to put more stuff on. And technically, we have a Patreon, but I don't really put anything up on that. But if anybody feels like donating, patreon.com slash giving the mic. Is there any, does anyone have any, Jacob's about to play a sound effect. Does anyone have any any final words or closing thoughts to our expansive conversation this evening? Um, This was really fun, and thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. Yes, thank you very much for uh, for staying up late. Okay, Jacob, you go ahead and play it. Play us out. <laughs> Is that a cat? <laughs> Is that... It's all worth it. Um... All right. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in again. Thank you for staying with us. It is good, but and um, yeah, like I said, share us with your friends if you want. Uh, yeah, we need. Uh, we can. We can deal with the. Uh, we could use the things. Anyway, uh, thank. Anyway, thank you. Thank you very much, Ian, for talking to us tonight and staying up late. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, yeah, we went to a lot of fun places, and there's a lot more to talk about. And we'd like to have you on again at some point because yeah, pick a favorite subject, um, make yeah. him listen, make him listen to you talk about it. Which is a good. This is what I did. Yeah, this I'll is, talk. I'll, I'll talk about Warhammer. Yes. So. Oh boy. <laughs> Actually, if you could explain Warhammer lore to me, I will be there in a heartbeat. <laughs> in like, yeah, and because I have no fucking clue, but I follow a lot of Warhammer blogs on Tumblr, and their aesthetics are awesome. Or even yeah, well, just imagine just getting yeah. Just all I'm gonna say is wait till you try like checking out some of the lore for for 40k, and it's. Mm-hmm. It's deeply, um, I don't know, I never... Space Marines and Necromancers. All right, uh, thank you, everybody, and good night. Have a good night. Good night.
Skype makes me crazy. Same. Oh. Is your this is us, by the way. Hello. Oh, hey. Do you want to do it video? Uh, not not necessarily doubtful. I just wanted to do it just because I think I, I've never actually plugged this thing in. Oh, okay. Am Let I... me know if you want to do it. Uh, like I, like I'm totally good with doing it video. Yeah. Well, I figure usually um we got everybody else here. There is Jacob, and there's Nat in the back. Oh hi. Yeah, I'm just staring at my phone, honestly, <laughs> looking through Twitter, like I do every day, all day. I don't know why. That's fun. Just lurk it. Send me a tweet. What do you want me to send you? I don't know. Just turn that off. Something, yeah. something cool. Yeah, normally, yeah, this thing is usually. Give, yeah. give me a dank meme. Or okay. give me something to Photoshop. All right, I will. All right, cool. Okay. Listen, Nat, can you talk a little bit more? Yeah, I'll talk right now. Talk, talk, talk. Talking like this. Uh huh. Yep. <laughs> My brain's fried. It's a good day for that. It's a good day for that. I'm trying to see if you're on channel two or channel three. I hate Mondays. That's not an appropriate joke. Don't record that. Too late. <laughs> There's nothing to... We don't cut anything. Oh, actually, that's not true. We cut a lot. Come on in, come to the place where fun never ends. You bet! Come on in, it's time to party with Garfield and friends. <laughs> I'm going to lower that oh, just right there dear. a little bit. Jeremy's oh, like, dear. I'm just going to turn this off, off and then just keep it off for the rest of the show. I remember watching Garfield and friends and the weird... Uh, Jim Davis is weird like the I was raised on a farm so I'm going to have myself a farm comic strip spin-off that'll run way too many years than it should have. Wait, what? You don't remember the 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 magisterial glory that was US Acres? No. Thank Christ. <laughs> Not only was it a I watched I watched the shit out of that. That was Oh nice. Yeah, they had a, a no, no, no. U.S. Acres was on the because Garfield was never a uh, an after school show. It was always a, a Saturday morning show. The fact that you don't like U.S. Acres is the reason Trump won. <laughs> no, that uh, you know, laugh all you want. I'm waiting for that. That'll be that'll be an actual like you know, New York Times uh, op ed piece in uh, like three months or something. Yeah, and I'm gonna write it. Oh, there you go. More uh, Garfield. Know. Garfield was good shit. I'm not going to lie. I know that he's become kind of like meme worthy and stuff like that. I remember it, like the first time I encountered Garfield was I had this friend. I don't even know. I don't remember. I don't even remember his name. I just know that like he had this big house out in the county. Like we were in Cub Scouts together or something like that. And this had to be like a very narrow time frame because I was like only in Scout. I was like only in Cub Scouts for like six months because I hated it. And, uh, I remember I went out to his house to hang out and he had like every single Garfield book. And this was like 1986 or 1987, something like that. Right. So like there were already like 30, you know, and and they were those weird, like rectangular books. Right. And each one, you know, which ones I'm talking about. They were, they were not like trade paper. They were just, they were long and rectangular. Right. You got them in, um, you got them in scholastic weekly reader. Right. You put the order in every, every like two months. Yeah. And like, we just like, I don't know, like we would just hang out. We only hung out like five times or something like that. And, uh, but every single time, like all we did was just read these fucking Garfield books. It was very weird. It's a nice bonding And I remember, I, I, I remember that I would like, uh, I would force my younger brother to like play the part of, of, of John, and I'd play Garfield, and like I'd record us doing like radio, radio dramatizations nice. of the Garfield comics. It's almost like pro, uh, like proto lasagna cat. 
Yeah, no, it was it, it was bad because like he couldn't he couldn't read at that point because because I got five years on him, <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't have the tapes anymore, but like but, like you could hear me saying, uh, "Hey, Peter, you need to say, uh, Garfield, where are you?" <laughs> and like he and, and he would do it, but he would take it really really literally because there was one where I and this is this is dumb. I don't know why I'm talking about this, but um, I stuttered and I said say but i meant to say yell so i said say yell garfield where are you and peter goes my, my brother goes yell garfield where are you <laughs> and it's so i'm so furious because he ruined my my, my okay my so software. do you still have copies of that tape and can we play them on the podcast no he's god like, no yeah. i don't i don't think i do i think like yeah, like how many times do you move in 30 years right like, exactly um yeah, I don't think I do. But but if I ever find it, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not good. <laughs> no, but it's definitely nostalgic, I'm sure. That's got to be a good one to bring up for your family. Yeah, get, yeah find it and then d- d- uh, encode it and then like send it yeah, let um let uh let David Roth and Jeb Ludden talk about it just for the hell of it. Christ. No. <laughs> I have I have, I have too much respect for David to want him to like like lose respect for me so i can't hey, <laughs> there's, there's no possible way you're talking about a guy who co-hosts a uh who co-hosts a hallmark christmas movie podcast review podcast so i mean fair enough yeah. but um i love david david's like legitimately one of my favorite people i've i've met in this weird media ecosystem that we we inhabit in 20 in 2018 um just just a legitimately like wonderful like kind-hearted man. Oh, um, you guys, do you guys ever read Deadspin? Sometimes. Yeah. Okay. No, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, yeah I he's do, well. Yeah. Yes. But um, he's a one of the characters on there, and um, got the uh, got he got the podcasting bug from because if you're of a certain age and have and you're uh, online way too much, that's um that's just a natural progression of being online too much is you start a podcast because it's like. A garage band for our age. Wait, what are you showing? Oh, okay. What is it? What, wait, what's the title? List? He's showing me Garfield Star Wars memes, <laughs> which is slightly terrifying. Me having an ac- me having access to a computer for a podcast is definitely a good idea. That's not going to have any negative repercussions whatsoever on the content. Are you no. recording? 